Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody we're going to take a bite of the big apple today with gerald brown from the bottom line sports show on sirius xm nba radio gerald i don't think there's any question uh that when you go into madison square garden for an nba game with the knicks that the crowd is going to be memorable uh there's no hiding their passion for their basketball team uh they obviously see things through rose-colored glasses and i don't mean derrick rose but they, uh, I mean, here's a, a team that overachieved this year. I think it's fair to say that. Uh, they won 41 games when the projection was something like 25. So, I mean, there's a lot of credit to go around. And I think Nick fans will probably dwell on the fact that, well, you know, we lost the first round series and our expectations were higher. Uh, I, I don't know how they could be, to be honest with you, because when you're the between the four and the five seed, that's going to be the most competitive series because the records are very similar, and in this case, they were identical. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think clearly, you know, you can't really get caught up in the situations with the seeding because four and five, like you said before, their records were identical, and sometimes it could be a tiebreaker, and it's not that big of a difference. So I always looked at four versus five as really a toss-up. But then again, you know, if you look at it on paper, it reflected on the court. The Atlanta Hawks had better talent. And I think that, you know, as Nick fans, you want to go into this situation. Think about it, Howard. This is an organization that hadn't been in the playoffs, I think, about eight years. Right. This is a city where starving New York fans, Nick fans, have been waiting and clamoring for something to cheer about. And then it just so happens that in the midst of the Brooklyn Nets getting Harden, Irving, and Durant, two guys that spurned the Knicks, they have all of a sudden this situation where this reclamation project, pretty much with a few couple of pieces sprinkled in, that was a team uh, last year that was really did nothing and was terrible under David Fisdale. They come out of nowhere, they play hard, they win games, they finish with the four seed, but if you look at it really closer, the difference between, I think, the fourth and the sixth or the seventh seed was maybe one to two games. And so it, it, they have nothing to feel bad about that being the Knicks. Look, they have about 50 million or so on this, in their salary cap. They're, they're in a great situation. I think they have two first-round picks. You have opportunities to start to build this franchise in the direction that you can have long-term success. And I think the biggest challenge will be for Nick fans is to be able to sit back and say, okay, take forward his work. They won a game in the first round of the playoffs. They made the playoffs. What is the next step? Is perhaps advancing in the playoffs as opposed to winning a championship. So this offseason, it will be very interesting to see how Leon Rose in that front office 
continue to construct this team to be able to still have that same type of fight that they had this year, but add now a little bit more of offensive firepower with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really uh, up on Maybe you can help me out here about which free agents might be in the open market. Uh, but I know that the Knicks, uh, Derek Rose, they got to make a decision on him. Uh, and interestingly enough, it, it clearly uh, he was a depleted Derek Rose to the point of where Tom Thibodeau decided not to play him in the fourth quarter. He just had no gas left. I mean, he played extended minutes throughout the first four games of the series, and it took its toll last night. Uh, believe me, if it wasn't for Derrick Rose, this series wouldn't have gone five games. I mean, he kept him in every single game when Julius Randle struggled, and Julius Randle, I mean, played a little bit better last night, but still he was mediocre at best in the entire five-game series. Yeah, I, I think, look, Derrick Rose is, uh, you know, he epitomizes what you want out of a veteran backup point guard, and clearly, you know, without the Knicks having that you know, starting caliber point guard, Alfred Payton couldn't get the job done. They didn't go to Franklin Aquina that much. And then Emmanuel quickly, obviously, is a rookie guard. But, you know, Derrick Rose was brought in, and I think his, you know, what he was able to provide to this mix right here clearly is somebody they have to resign. I'm on board for them saying also perhaps maybe even giving a max contract to Julius Randle. Listen, this was his first opportunity to be sort of, quote-unquote, the main option in the offense uh, for a player that, again, is still coming into his own. Now, when I say give him a max player and you look at free agency, what's out there, there's not really those sort of high-profile individuals that realistically can change the fortunes of your team by going out there and giving them a boatload of money. So I think it would make sense to bring Randall back this is a team that's still evolving, and I think that they need to shore up a couple of pieces here and there. If there's a guy out there they can bring in that, you know, again, can help out with perimeter scoring, that is key. R.J. Barrett is still a young player that are getting it, you know, that's getting his feet wet. And, you know, Alex Burke plays well, played well. I think he needs to come back as well. So the key thing is, is that, look, this was a team that if you put them all together, there are really a lot of guys that were sort of put in situations that Randall becomes now a number one player. Alec Burks was never a number two, a number one, but these were sort of ancillary parts that all of a sudden now got an opportunity to show what they could do if given the opportunity and be able to produce. And unfortunately, they came up short, but I think the key thing is you bring back some of those pieces, maybe re-sign Julius Randall, uh, even though he's not a free agent, sign him to that max extension, and then you continue to keep building with the pieces that you have. Bring Derrick Rose back and, and, and Todd Gibson as well, and just continue to add those sort of uh, diamonds in the rough. And you got to scout. You got to really scout and hit home runs in the draft. Last night, Trey Young, a.k.a. Reggie Miller circa, circa 2021, uh, and, and it was kind of comical that Reggie Miller was working in the TNT telecast last night while Trey Young, I mean, I mean, if, and they were working in the building too. Uh, imagine the, the fans looking at Reggie Miller in the booth and booing him <laughs> and then and booing Trey Young. Uh, look, Trey Young established himself as a legitimate all-star player in this series. I don't think there's any question about it. 
Uh, he didn't shoot the ball effectively last night, but, I mean, he was 10 of 28, but he made big shots, particularly in the fourth quarter when he scored, I want to say, 18 of his 36 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, basically what, what the, the Hawks did last night, they put on a 15-5 to 5 run to put the game away in the fourth quarter. I think at the nine-minute mark to the to the five-minute mark, they outscored the Knicks 15-5, to five and the game was over. Julius Randle, if Julius Randle hit on as many shots as he hit elbows last night, he would have shot the ball better. I mean, I mean, particularly there's one play, if you recall, when they were under the basket, they called him for an offensive foul. Uh, he clearly threw an elbow. Uh, and it wasn't just one. It was several. And I'll go even so far, I don't care who, who hears me, I'll go as far as to say the Knicks played dirty. And it wasn't just last night. It was a lot of this series. You want to play physical? Fine. Dirty is not acceptable in my judgment. I think, you know, you know, going back to what you mentioned about Trey Young, I think clearly Trey Young, um, really, again, if anything, I think he perhaps with this sort of first-round performance, maybe start to allow people to sit back and say, wow, the Atlanta Hawks didn't make a mistake when they decided to pass over Luka Doncic for Trey Young. I think also, too, you know, there was a lot of criticism about Trey Young in years past in terms of him trying to sort of emulate Stephen Curry with all the shots and really wasn't making them. But the key thing is, is that they have been able to add pieces to help him now be able to say, okay, look, you can be able to still do what you want to do in terms of your, you know, your deep range shooting. That's going to help us. But now you add Clint Capella to the mix, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich. You bring in pieces around him along with John Collins that now he doesn't have to be the main guy. And these guys around them can be able to play their role and play effectively. So if he was on a team that was sort of missing some of those guys offensively, well, yeah, now he's trying to do a little bit more than he really needs to. That's not the case at all with him. And then going back to the Knicks, look, that team, I think they shot a missed about a hundred threes or a hundred shots and stuff from the perimeter. Their perimeter shot attempts, I think, were some of the threes were like about 152. They only made 52 of them. So this is a team in the Knicks. You know, I guess they tried to go back and emulate what that 90s Knicks team was. We're going to be very physical with you, and we're going to try to disrupt you as much as possible because we know that you don't, we don't have the offensive skill set to match what you can put out on the court. And, you know, that veterans and stuff. So I, I, I thought that was really key. And then looking at Trey Young and what his ascension has been like, it really helps when, like I said before, when you have talent, veterans, and then also, by the way, you get throwing a guy like Lou Williams, coming in there, really stabilizing him, along with the outstanding job of a former point guard and Nate McMillan has done for the Hawks. Uh, I thought he's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM at NBA Radio. I thought the Hawks settled for a lot of threes last night in particular. Bogdanovich was way off. He was one for seven. Uh, Gallinari was uh, was a non-factor to speak of. He, did, he didn't make a shot. He had one point at the foul line. That's it. Uh, but having said that, they got excellent production from Capella, not only with 14 points, but 15 rebounds. John Collins had a solid game with 13 points. 
Uh, DeAndre Hunter played solid last night. Uh, and, of course, Trey Young had the 36 points, but he needed 28 shots. Uh, I just look at this Hawks team, and the strength of this team that I saw in this playoffs was their defensive production. I thought they did an excellent job in taking Julius Randle out of his game. I think they forced uh, Barrett into um, to, uh, to over-dribbling a little bit too much, trying to get out of double teams, but that comes with experience. Uh, look, where the Hawks are now and where they may be going might be two different directions because they're going to face a Philadelphia 76er team with or without Joel Embiid. And last night they beat Washington without Embiid and closed out the series with a 17-point win. Uh, that's going to be a tough series for Atlanta. But I'm not ready to say that Philadelphia is going to either sweep or, or, or beat them in five. I think it may take six or seven games. Yeah, I think that that series is really headed perhaps maybe to six or even seven. And I think the key thing with the the Hawks, uh, just to put a sort of uh, a cap on the whole situation with the Knicks, which was really interesting in that series between the Knicks and the Hawks, which clearly can kind of, you know, be a little deceiving. I thought it was really interesting. And maybe this is a knock somewhat of not even knock, maybe a slight at Tom Thibodeau. They didn't make any adjustments. You really saw if they did make any adjustments, they were very, very minimal. The Knicks being uh, that were in terms of maybe that sort of uh, it, it, it accentuated the defensive uh, awareness of the, the Hawks. But I think that clearly they need the Hawks needed to not do too much because, again, they had better talent. And there was nothing that really they uh, the Knicks showed from a perimeter in terms of guys that could be able to hurt you. They made Julius Randle essentially work for his shots, making sure that, again, he had a hand in his face. And let's, let's be honest, with Randle as well as R.J. Barrett, these guys are really heavy, heavy on their left hand. So they're going to really be forced in a situation where they're trying to do stuff uh, the fourth district to shoot the ball with their right, their left hand. Now you go to this next series, it'll be very interesting what type of adjustments will the Sixers make in terms of, okay, now we're going to sort of, again, make Trey Young work if they're throwing double teams at him. Who are they going to sacrifice and say, this guy has to beat us? Uh, at the same time, the Sixers will pose a problem for the Atlanta Hawks in terms of who will match up with Ben Simmons and try to minimize his driving ability, getting into that lane and being able to do a lot of things. Um, I question with the Sixers, you know, when you talk about a guy that has a slight uh, meniscus tear in his knee and that being Joel Embiid, I'm always questioning, A, how effective he's going to be if he's out on the court. B, with his history and his injury history, why do you want to risk having him have some situation that, God forbid, that slight tear co co turns out to be even a bigger or worst case scenario, a complete tear? Why would you want to risk that? So I don't know Joel Embiid's presence in this series will be that much. I would be very, I wouldn't be very surprised that if after maybe one or two games to see what he can be out there as a presence that they might decide to shut him down. But I think the key thing is, you know, look, Philly shot the ball very well, you know, protection from Steph, uh, Steph, uh, Steph Curry, right. uh, as well as Tobias Harris. Those guys shot the ball well. 
if they're able to do that, it'll be very interesting now to see the adjustments Atlanta makes in their sort of decisions in terms of who they're going to really take away and force the Sixers to be to beat them with. Uh, Gerald, you know, getting back, put, putting a bow tie on on the Knicks and where they are, um, uh, I, I do question the extended amount of minutes Derrick Rose played in the first four games, and it took its toll last night because right. Thibodeau couldn't play him in the fourth quarter. He just had no legs. And so that's a, that's a combination of, uh, or a compilation, really, of the four games he had played prior. And to be fair, I mean, this would have been a sweep if it wasn't for Derrick Rose. I mean, he kept them in games. Uh, and and look, I also question one other thing. They started out the last two games the same way, getting the ball to Julius Randle every single possession and try to get him to create and make a shot. They wanted him to get off, to get off positively, offensively, to where they th- they could count on him to make some shots. Well, it backfired, not only in last night's game, but in game four as well. Julius Randle has, has the ability to create his own shot, but he was 8 of 21 last night, and that was good for him, considering where he was in the first four games when, when he shot the ball so poorly. But you look at this squad, you know, what, what, what are the positives with this squad? Uh, clearly, Julius Randle is an all-star player. Clearly, uh, R.J. Barrett is a star in the future, uh, but he had a lot to learn, and he hasn't learned it all yet. Uh, keep in mind, they haven't had Mitchell Robinson for a couple of months now. So he's part of their future as well. What does that mean for Nerland Noel? Uh, Nor- uh, Nerland Noel, I-, I don't really know. But he did play. I mean, he's very limited offensively. Uh, but uh, Reggie Bullock is not limited offensively. He, he, I mean, he made four threes last night, but that's all he made. And he finished with 12 points. So when you look at this Nick team, the way they are now and the way they could be, clearly they need an, another offensive weapon. Clearly they could use uh, a point guard. That's an every an every game point guard for 35 or 37 minutes. They don't have that right now, at least nobody they can depend on. And as for Derrick Rose, I'd bring him back, uh, you know, in, as, as a guy coming off the bench because at least you know he knows what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you summed it up. I think really it's going to look at, look, Leon Rose, Scott Perry, they're going to really have to sit down and say, look, we got $50 million. If there's anything out in the free agency market that warrants paying that, I don't think that is the case at all. I think clearly you have to, you know, keep Derrick Rose because, again, what he showed you, if he's in control minutes to be very, very effective, uh, is something that you're really going to need. Now, the biggest question will be, he's made $7 million this past year on that contract with the way he performed. And like you mentioned, him being out there, kept the Knicks from being swept in this series, how much are you willing to pay him? I think you're going to have to probably start somewhere, maybe between, if, if it's not 14, maybe somewhere near $20 million um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, what his effective and maybe having more than a short-term deal. But I think the key thing is, and that's why I say I worry in some way about the Atlanta Hawks because their matchup was so good that whatever they did from the beginning with the Knicks, they, did, they, they didn't have to change it. Because like you said before, 
Nerlens Noel, he's not Mitchell Robinson, but he, you know, it's still in all, they didn't have very, uh, they didn't have too many offensive-minded players that you could sit back and say, well, this guy gets hot, he's going to be able to carry them. They didn't have that. Alex Burks, he had moments. Reggie Bullock, he had moments. So now as the Hawks move forward, you know, they're going to face a team that has more talent as you progress in these playoffs. But with the Knicks, like I said before, they were very limited. And, I, I, you know, I don't know in terms of with Tom Thibodeau, but it just seems like the adjustments that were made were very, very limited. And it was a key thing is try to get Julius Randle going, which clearly he wasn't able to do that. And like you mentioned about R.J. Barrett, they are very, very they, – they play hard, but they are offensively challenged in every single way. So now it becomes a question is, clearly, if there's anybody that thought that this team perhaps should have won this series, I think that they are sadly mistaken because clearly this was a team in the Atlanta Hawks that had way better talent. You know, they put up a great fight, mm-hmm. but I think the Knicks averaged somewhere around 97 points. Right. Uh, in this tour and in, in this playoffs, you can't win playoff games in this era of basketball out scoring 97 points a game. It's not going to help you happen at all. And you're going to have to upgrade that, that roster minimal, but still you want to keep that core together in terms of the identity, which is they play hard moving forward. Yeah. There's no question about that. Uh, look, Tom Thibodeau has, has his detractors. His detractors will say that he wears down young players. That was his M.O. before he came to the Knicks. Now, having said that, I can't, I can't attest to that because I wasn't around those teams. I would only say that the guy knows defense. There's no doubt about it. And they bought in to what, to what he was teaching this year. And they, they were the toughest, as tough a defensive team as it was in the league this year. But now let's look at the, at the future and where they are in the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia, they're going nowhere. They, they, they have a, a core of players that's young enough to, to be good for a while. Brooklyn, um, we're going to find out how the big three is going to continue to be the big three. Milwaukee, I mean, Giannis is young enough. Uh, Middleton's young enough. Uh, Drew Holiday's young enough. So they're going to be a factor. But once you get past those three, Atlanta is, we saw what Atlanta is. So they're going to be, are they a championship caliber team now? I don't think so. But is Miami? Miami needs a lot of work now. Boston, you know, let's face it, Danny Ainge walks away. He retires. Uh, Brad Stevens is going to take over. Who their new head coach will be will be interesting to see, you know, who they go after. And trust me, I think I think a, a lot of African-American coaches and players are going to be looking to see if the Celtics give a look at an African-American coach. I mean, I've heard Lloyd Pierce's name, which when I heard that, I went, wait a minute. Lloyd Pierce, the guy that got fired in Atlanta? I don't see him as a prime candidate. Uh, Jason Kidd's name has come up. Mark Jackson's name has come up. Uh, Kenny Atkinson's name has come up. So we'll see where they go with the Boston Celtics. Washington, you know, they got a lot out of what they had this year. And the rest going down the line, I mean, the Knicks I would put right now, Gerald, and I'd like to hear your opinion, I put the Knicks right in the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference unless they make some dramatic moves and get one or even two really top-notch players. And then what happens with those two number one draft picks, we'll find out. But they have a chance to, to, to crack 
the top four in the Eastern Conference, I think, if they make some of the right moves. Well, I, I tell you this. You left out one team that I think clearly everybody is easy to overlook because this team has really, really had, if there was ever a team affected by the pandemic, you would have to really look at them. And that is the Toronto Raptors. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Lowry. He's obviously a free agent. He's probably going to move on. But I think with Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, you have OG Ananobi. They have pieces up there and Nick Nurse. And this was a team that, let's be honest, they played 72 road games this past year along with going into the bubble. Now, are we going to discount them? I'm not going to be so quick to do so because this team's history and the pieces that they're there, they play hard. They have some offensive weapons. I think that they will have a strong bounce back, especially if they're able to get back into Toronto and be around their home fan base. We looked at what the Knicks, how enthused and charged they were with those fans back in the building. I can imagine what Canada and Toronto is going to be feeling if they get the Raptors back up there. So I'm going to put the Raptors perhaps in that sort of three, that four or five, because I think the key thing is like, you're right, look, it's Milwaukee, Boston, and then after that, you're going to look at the Sixers. We don't know what's going to happen moving forward. If they're going to make a move with Ben Simmons, whatever issues and things that they're going to try to change up from perimeter scoring, adding more depth to that team, it remains to be seen. But right now, yes, they would be the top three. After that, I got to put Toronto there. And then you're right. Look, Kimball Walker is still on the books for a ton of money for the Boston Celtics. He's got to be able to show that he could do some things. Um, you know, it, Danny Ainge retires, which I still believe he's going to probably be with another team um, sometime in the near distant future. But if whoever they bring in as the coach, the key thing is they're going to have to get some more help into that front court. And, and especially, obviously, if Robert Williams uh, continues to develop, that's going to be really interesting. But I think they're going to need to add a piece into that front court to really support those perimeter players and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Now, moving forward after that, I think Indiana is going to be a lot better, you know, with a healthy Miles Turner to go along with Sabonis. They are there, you know, and then I think the Knicks are right there with them. The Indianas, you know, maybe Charlotte or whatever makes another step. But the Knicks have potentially an opportunity somewhere within that five to eight range, depending on what they do with their roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know? Ger- Gerald Brown from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Um, uh, stepping away from, from the East for a second, I'm fascinated with the Dallas Clippers series. Dallas wins last night. Five straight games now. The road team has won. And I, I decided to do, you know, has this ever happened before? It, yes. 1968, Boston, Philadelphia. Boston, Milwaukee in 74. In 81, it was Houston, San Antonio. In 05, it was Indiana, Boston, and then uh, in 2017, Utah and the Clippers, the road team won every game. It's never happened where road, where road teams have won in six games, certainly not seven games, but I could see the sucker going seven games. I just don't see the road team winning all seven games. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, it's the biggest thing. It's it's kind of like the, the L.A. Clippers, really, if, if you had to put a title on them it would be fool's goal because they fool you into a situation where you look at this series and say okay you know what 
Should this series go five, six, whatever, but the Clippers should have enough talent. Yes, they're going to win. They go out, they lose the first two games. Paul George is really talking, hey, we're not worried. People are already saying that this is the Paul George of the bubble last year. They go out, they win two games in Dallas on the road, take control of this series. Doncic is battling a knee injury, you know, and, 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 and I mean, not a knee, a neck injury with this spring and a stinger. So you go into last night, I was saying, okay, everybody thinking that, hey, the, the Clippers are going to go out, sort of a carryover effect. They're going to step up. They're going to come out with a 3-2 lead. And then they go out and lose. And I think the thing is, two things that kind of really shocked me, but then again, that has been sort of the MO for this series. Number one, the Clippers don't have any answers to stop in Luka Doncic. He's basically been able to do whatever he's want. And offensively, with the exception of maybe game four, you know, I think that clearly he's been really able to say that, you know what, you can't stop me. And now I'm just going to have to have my other guys step up and hit big shots. And then another number two thing in this series the Clippers have really, really been sort of lackadaisical with taking care of the ball, especially down the stretch. And last night, the last maybe five to uh, seven minutes of that game, you just had the Clippers have bad turnovers after bad turnovers. Now, clearly, in a couple of cases, you could have said there there were some calls that the refs missed on, you know, um, with with Paul George, you know, losing the ball with Kawhi Leonard. But these are your two top-tier guys. And when this game was still in the balance and they were down like four with the ball, they didn't get up good shots. They turned the ball over. And the next thing you know, you have Kristaps Porzingis. It's a big three. And I think Finney Smith hits next big, uh, three. Next thing you know, the lead goes from four to seven to ten. And that's ball game. So I, I just question the ability for the Clippers to really step up and answer the bell. Because now they're in a situation where this going in this game, I don't know what to think. I mean, my head says, oh, okay, they're probably going to lose this game and it'd be an overall dis- uh, disappointment. But then again, they went down there before and who's to say that they, they've won there before and this sort of this track record shows that the road team has a strong, strong advantage of winning on the road the next game. Let me ask you one quick question. I got about 30 seconds. Does, do the Lakers have a shot without Anthony Davis tonight? Well, you got Le- LeBron James. Health-wise, I'd say, you know what? No, I don't think so at all. Keep it close, but they're going to have to have the big performance by Kyle Kuzma and other guys. But I think on paper right now, no, not at all. Yeah, I, I would agree. Although I'm an idiot. You see, I believe in LeBron James. I believe he <laughs> finds a way. You know, but we'll see. He's never lost a first-round series. Uh, records are made to be broken. We'll see. Gerald, always appreciate your insight. Thanks a million, and you stay safe. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.